0: My name is Jelandra A. Davis, otherwise known as Mommy Melissine. I am a writer, scholar, educator, dancer, mermaid enthusiast, and all around creative. Welcome to the Merwomanist Podcast, where we talk about Black mermaid lore, fantasy, spirituality, and aquatic culture. Dive in and enjoy. This first series Greetings and welcome to the Merwomanist Podcast. I'm your host here, Mommy Melissine, and this is going to be a bonus episode just talking about my month of October because it's been a very busy month, and there has been a lot going on in my life, and a lot of it has to do with my scholarship with mermaids, black fantasy, horror, et cetera. So I just thought I'd do a little episode, just a little review of the month and reflection and talk about some horror things that I engaged with since this is Mertober um, and it is my horror series. Um, Okay, so I just wanna talk a little bit about this month because I'm trying to think of a term to use to describe this month that doesn't end up being ableist, right? I don't wanna say crazy or insane. Um, It's been wild. It's been wild. It's been a wild month. Um I really overcommitted myself. I'm owning that now. I think the problem is I use my calendar, you know, when people ask me to do things, I look at my calendar, but I look at my calendar and I look at the day that I'm being asked to do something, but I don't necessarily look at the days around it. So I just don't think I realized that I had so many things going on. So this month I had three conferences, two of them out of town, one of them local, thankfully, Um, two trips for those out of town conferences. I had a family crisis, which... I'm not going to go into too much depth about that for the privacy of different members of my family, but I definitely had a family crisis and had to do a lot of caregiving, um, which I already do a lot of caregiving, but like caregiving, even like beyond what I typically do, I realized that um, I have entered earlier than I thought I would into the world of the sandwich generation, where I am still caring a high needs small child, as well as um, an elder. And it's a lot, right? So this was a really busy month in terms of family. Um, This actually was September 30th. September 30th was the deadline for all of my materials for my first faculty review as a tenure track faculty member. So that kind of bled into October because in October, I ended up picking up a lot of just deferred work and things that I wasn't working on um, during the last weeks of September because I was working on that. I had multiple presentations, speaking engagements that I can't even list all of them because I don't even feel like going back to the calendar to figure out everything that I did. Um, One of the things, um, October 21st, I actually was the captain for my son's um, Club 21 walk team. We're in the I've mentioned before in a podcast, my son has Down syndrome. And we are in an organization called Club 21. And every year, the fundraising walk is in October. <laughs> so I was the captain of my son's team. And so, you know, recruiting people, fundraising money, we did exceed our goal, um, our fundraising goal for the organization. And we had a great time that day, but I literally did everything myself, like, well, my little sister helped me a bit, but, you know, lots of logistics, lots of planning, lots of setting up. um, And it was just a really busy day. And on the day of that, after leading this whole um, walk, charity walk, I went straight from there to UC Riverside, where I was on a panel Um, Doing a kind of introduction as well as post-show discussion of J.D. Dillard's Sweetheart, which is a film featuring with a Black director featuring a Black female lead, um, an aquatic horror film. And so I was in a discussion about that film with John Jennings for a Black horror film series that we are now having at UC Riverside. So that was all in one day, (laughs) that charity walk, um, followed by that film screening and discussion. Um, And I had one day after that to try to rest a little bit and get my household together, get my son prepared, because on October 23rd, I headed out of town. (laughs) I was gone for a week, and I made two stops. In Washington, D.C., I went to see Ayana V. Jackson's From the Deep, an exhibit um, that is inspired by the work of Drexia. Um, and I'll talk about what that is in a second. Um, but it's an aquatic, a very aqua, you know, filling exhibit. And I went from there to the National Women's Studies Association Conference in Baltimore, where I had not yet um, written the paper, (laughs) the chapter that I was presenting. So that was fun. So I spent most of my time in Baltimore actually writing and working, um, presented that paper. And I just got home last night. So it's been so busy and it's not over. Tomorrow is Halloween. Um, My son hasn't been at school. I've got to um, get his costume together, got to um, get together whatever I'm gonna be doing for his classroom. So it's still not over, <laughs> but not even, you know, I have not even put together my Halloween costume. That's how busy I've been this month. And I said before, when I started the horror series, that Halloween is my favorite holiday and that I usually am very invested in putting my costume together. I never buy a costume I. always I don't sew or anything like that. So I'm always putting my costumes together, kind of crafting them from different pieces. And yeah, I actually did not do that this year. So I have a whole bunch of stuff because of being in the mermaid cosplay community. So I'm probably just going to dig in my closet and put something together for Halloween. (laughs) So... I just want to talk a little bit about this month because it's been a lot going on. Um, where to start? Where to start? One of the conferences that I was involved with was Cal State LA's Eagle Con. It's an annual conference um, and science fiction convention at Cal State LA. And one thing really unique about Eagle Con is that It brings scholars together, but it also brings fans together, and there's also a really heavy focus on undergraduate students. So, this year, there was a collaboration between um, Cal State LA and UC Riverside um, English Department, where I teach, and so, you know, we organized for students to come out from Riverside to Cal State LA. Um, That was about the extent of my involvement. (laughs) Unfortunately, I wasn't able to take part um, as much as I wanted to, and I only attended one day, but it's a really great event. And one of the things I really love about it, besides bringing fans and undergraduate students and scholars together, which I think is really important to have cross-pollination across those groups, I think it's really important. And this podcast is evidence of that. It's really important to me that scholars are not only talking to each other, because then I feel like we get into sort of a vacuum. And we get, you know, we get just so into our theory and in our criticism that I think sometimes we forget that the people who create things are are real people Um, and, you know, forget how to translate the things that we're talking about and we're saying for broader audiences that are also interested in these topics. So I really love Eagle because it's all about that. Um, It's a very public facing conference, even though it's also scholars um, who are involved. And a great thing about EgoCon is that there's a lot of emphasis on um, careers, on like exposing students to career paths in the arts and in Hollywood, and not the kind of career paths that I think people are used to thinking about with acting, directing, kind of the splashier things, but things like set design, sound design, storyboarding, right? All of those story editing, um creating the art the costumes uh, the animation right and so there's always quite a few people who are talking about the actual industries that produce the science fiction and fantasy like landscapes, right, that so many of us are fans of. Um, so I did enjoy my one day. It was a three-day conference. I made it to one day and I really enjoyed that. And I look forward to being more, I've spoken at this conference in the past. I've been more um, involved in the past because I actually used to teach at Council in LA. So I'm really looking forward to deepening that collaboration in the coming years. Um, The other conference that I attended was called Festival of Monsters. It was at UC Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz is so beautiful. I didn't really know that. I haven't been to Santa Cruz before. Um, So next time I do this conference, I really look forward to Um, spending some more time there and maybe taking my family with me because you've got beautiful beaches as well as these redwood forests. The campus itself is like a forest. (laughs) like There are deer gallivanting about the campus. There are trees everywhere. And I'm like, wow, what an incredible place to to study and to learn and to teach. Um, So there was... An event called Festival of Monsters, um, UC Santa Cruz actually has a Center for Monster Studies, which how cool is that? And mermaids are actually, actually considered to be monsters. A lot of people might not know this, um, but because of their hybridity, right? Because they blend, you know, human and fish, these forms that don't really go together, um, they are considered to be monstrous. And a lot of the history of the portrayal of mermaids has regarded them as monsters. So I was invited to a working group. Um, centered um, at UCSC, but involving faculty of all kinds of different disciplines at all kinds of different institutions who are working on something involving monsters. And so this conference was a chance for us to come together with other scholars who were presenting around monsters. I moderated a panel, um, don't remember the name of it, (laughs) but I moderated a panel, which I think was about sort of reinventing most monsters in folklore. Um, but that was really exciting. Um, the The presentation on that panel that stands out to me so much was actually about changelings. Woo, I did not know that the mythology and the history around changelings, um, changelings are the idea of a fairy or fae creature that is exchanged for a child, usually a newborn child, but it could also be a small child. And sometimes they're also exchanged for... Um, young women or or mothers or mothers of the children. So it's usually a child or a mother, but it is a creature that um, is left in the place of, you know, a kidnapped child or mother that's then taken into the fairy realm. I was familiar with this concept um, from, you know, being someone who, you know, likes fairy tales, reads fairy tales, but there is also a ballet called The Changeling um, that I have seen. So I was familiar with the concept, but I just really didn't know how deep it goes. There actually is a lot of really tragic, terrible history around changelings um, where the idea or the folklore of changelings is used to really be kind of, do I want to say cover? (laughs) Um, It's used to explain infanticide, particularly for peoples who are suffering really brutal conditions, right? So for example, the conquest Um, in Ireland, right? When Ireland was being conquered by the British and going through famine and in really horrible conditions, resulting in infanticides or children's deaths, Um, change links would be used to like explain why these children were killed sometimes by their families and their communities. Um, So I, I didn't even mean to go that deep into that. It's just this paper left such a deep impression on me. And because I didn't actually mean to go too deep into it, I didn't like get the author or anything before I sat down to record. So that information on the scholar who was working on that, and she also talked about the television show Changeling, which is a black horror show um, that is out now that Nicole Scholars and I also briefly talked about. Um, I will put her name in the show notes um, so you can look out for that research. But yeah, that just left a big impact on me. And there was just so many great conversations um, and one of the things that kept coming up in that conversation, as well as my conversation with Nicole Scaniers, is like, what does it mean to be the monster? What does it mean to get to be the monster? What does it mean to get to be the villain? Um, because I think that for Black people, those positions are troubled ones for us because there was a time where we're like, we had to be the monster or the villain in horror stories. Um And now that we have more range of what we can be, sometimes um, I think there's a resistance to occupying those spaces, but I also think it's important that sometimes we get to, right? I don't know if I'm making any sense. This might be a good segue to talk about a film that I saw this month um, during my flight. I often use um, flights as a chance to watch movies that, I might not give a chance on a regular day at home. You know, I only have so much time at home to watch movies. You know, by the time I get my son to bed, it's about time for me to go and I can't watch horror movies when he's up. So I often use flights as a time to watch, you know, horror movies that, you know, I might not take the two hours to watch at home. So I watched this film called and I'm going to have to put the director's information in the show notes because I also didn't mean to go into this. But on my flight out to D.C., I watched a film called The Angry Black Girl and Her Munster. This film is a Frankenstein retelling. The references and the homage to Frankenstein is very rich throughout the film. The girl's name is called, the little girl's called, well, not little. She's like a teenage girl. Her name is Vicaria, right? She's a young um, teenage girl growing up in the projects. I'm not sure what city, but she grows up inner city community. Um, She grows up exposed to a lot of violence. She loses her mother and her brother to gun violence. So she develops this obsession with death and she believes that death can be cured. And she is working in her lab, which is this kind of abandoned industrial building, which is her lab. And she is working to cure death. And you can only imagine the havoc that ensues, right? Of course, I don't want to give it away, but I mean, we know how mad scientist monster stories tend to go. Um, but I think this one does have some twists, right? Our mad scientist is a young black woman. I really appreciate um the moments of her being really unhinged. I don't know what it is. I just want black women to be able to be unhinged, <laughs> right? Khadija Maboe is a um YouTube um and um, Khadija, they just put out a video on black women in rage, um, which I really recommend. And yeah, I just, I just like to see us get to unleash our emotions and unleash emotions that aren't always desirable or respectable or can't be easily taken up within like a politics of good representation. I just want Black women to be free, to be whatever. Um, yeah, so Vicaria is really unhinged. There's actually this scene where, whoo, I had to like cover my eyes because I'm a wuss for gore, but where she's sewing together flesh to make her monster and laughing maniacally, like <laughs> like totally, like giggling, right? So you hear this like young Black girl giggling while this Flesh is being sewn together while she's sewing together rotting flesh. It's body horror at its finest. Like I said, I'm a wuss for gore, but I also do have an appreciation for body horror when I am able to stand looking at it. I mean, I don't know that I want to say it's a great film. I think it's a very flawed film. I think some of the messaging and the writing was really heavy handed, Um, but It's also really compelling, right? And that's something I say a lot, that something doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be perfectly executed for it to be really compelling and for it to stay with you because this film has literally stayed with me um, ever since I watched it. Um, And for all of the unsettling aspects of it, it also was strangely hopeful. (laughs) And you just have to watch it all the way to to the end to understand what I mean by that, right? So that's one of the the things that I engaged in in terms of horror this month. I'm going completely out of order. Um, I also, of course, had to watch JD Dillard's Sweetheart in order to um, be part of this discussion about it with John Jennings um, at UCR. And it's an event that's coordinated by Courtney Baker a faculty in my department. Um, And so pretty much, uh, not all of us, because I'm sure there's other folks too, but a lot of us who do Black speculative fiction are interested in Black speculative fiction and genres and horror at UCR. Courtney Baker, Andre Carrington, John Jennings, and myself um, were together at this screening and got to go out for dinner afterwards. And that was just really nice because since I do commute to campus and because my life is so hectic I don't get a lot of time to spend with my colleagues and just to, you know, have my mind stimulated, right? Sometimes because even though I'm an academic, I feel like I don't get to spend a lot of time with other academics. There's not a lot of academics in my Friend circle in my community. My partner has a completely opposite types of career. Um, So I don't know. I just feel like I don't really when I go to conferences and I see people who are really, really close friends with other people like in their same career. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, what would that feel like? (laughs) Because that's not really something I have in my day. I have a couple of friends, but I just don't have a lot of people in my daily life that I feel like understand my work, um, understand my career, understand the really unique and particular pressures um, and obsessions, right? Like we become scholars because we have these deep investments in these topics. And so just getting to talk to people is a rare treat for me. Um and it's always very stimulating and it reminds me of why I do this work because sometimes I forget <laughs> because it is stressful. So yeah, I think sweetheart, I am really thinking about if I could try to get the audio for that discussion and post it as an episode. And if I can't, then I might do a little short episode Um, where I actually talk about that film because it is dealing with water. It is dealing with a different kind of version of a mer creature, right? This creature is more of the creature of the Black Lagoon type of merman um, than the kind of mermaids that I usually talk about. But I still think it qualifies as a kind of a merfolk film. Um, So I will talk about that again at some point on the podcast, just need to figure out whether I'm gonna do it in a wrap-up or whether I'm going to try to see if I can actually get the discussion that I had with John Jennings um, about the film and post it. Um, So that is that. Okay. So the last thing I'm going to talk about is my trip. And my husband's coming in very loudly. Let me pause. Okay. I'm back. (laughs) My husband loves to sing. So, Whenever he enters the home, it's just singing and music. Uh, So I just had to take a little pause. All right, so last week of the month, I spent in Washington, DC and Baltimore. So in Washington, DC, I went to um, an exhibit um, that I've really been looking forward to. This exhibit has been going for a while now, um, but I had to wait for an opportunity um, to have something else to do, right? Like all of my trips, everything I do in my life is like multi-purpose, trying to kill multiple birds with one stone. So when I saw that the conference for an association that I'm a member of was in Baltimore, that's when I decided to try to overlap that with going to DC to see this art exhibit. So Ayana V. Jackson is a multimedia artist, but predominantly a photographer. She is known for... Um, work that interrogates the archive. She does photographs of her wearing this European dress, and she's sort of interrogating the archive in the absence of Black people, Black bodies in these kind of photographic archives. But this exhibit was inspired by the work of Drexia. I've mentioned Drexia before on the podcast. It is an Afro, a Black electronic group out of Detroit in the 1990s. Um, It's put out many records, um, but they are, I think, in my field, best known for the compilation album The Quest which is a compilation of a lot of their aquatic-themed work. And it is in this album that we get in the liner notes in the album art, their Mm world-building. And their world-building, what Coldwell Eshun calls um, sonic fiction. He calls it sonic fiction. So he said the sonic fiction is everything that's, around the music itself, right? So like the album art, the liner notes, the interviews. So they had a whole sonic fiction that they were the descendants of enslaved African women who had been pregnant, enslaved African women who had been thrown overboard during the transatlantic slave trade. And for anyone who already um, listens to this podcast, you know that that is like one of my central obsessions, preoccupations in black mermaid lore is this idea of those victims of the slave trade turning into some form of aquatic life. Um, so Ayana V. Jackson, um, Jackson builds on this world to establish her own aquatic universe in which water spirits, Um, midwife and transform the Drexians. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time with my notes and my thoughts yet, as well as some of my other research about the exhibit. Um, So it was kind of unclear to me whether the figures and the images in the exhibit are supposed to be representing the Drexians themselves or the water spirits, or if the Drexians kind of become these water spirits, or if it's a both and, right? Because we know a lot, like when it comes to dealing with African cosmologies and spirituality, that there's a lot of both and, right? There's a lot of spirits that can be multiple spirits at once and have different manifestations. So I'm still working through what I think about the exhibit. What I will say about it is just that it was so beautiful. You know, I've said before, I don't really think I'm a visual art girly. Like, I went to a few um, museums while I was in D.C. And I went to other exhibits, you know, than this one. And, yeah, sometimes I just look and I'm just like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know what I'm supposed to be thinking or feeling. Um, But... Some of these mermaid oriented aquatic exhibits I've been going to lately, I feel like I I get it, you know, even if I don't get exactly what the artist was trying to say, which is something I will work through more as I start writing about it, I feel it. The exhibit also had a scent installation. The scents were very, very faint. They probably don't want to, you know, make people sick. You know, people have allergies and sensitivities, but you definitely can sense the difference in the air when you walked into the space. Um, there was salt, there was sandalwood. Uh, you know, so that was really helped to set the vibe. The way in which the whole exhibit was lit, with this kind of wavy, fractured light, like you're underwater. Um, you know, like the sun is coming down through the waves. So you already have the environment very set before even walking in to look at the actual art. So the art was a combination of these photographs, these huge photographs. Um, Ayana Jackson, the artist is the model for everything, right? She staged everything on her own body. Um, So she's modeling these garments um, that she produced in collaboration with different African designers from different parts of the continent that represent these different spirits that she is embodying. Um, And so they're just these really elaborate garments. And if you look really closely at the garments, you can see that they seem like they're put together from different things, right? Like there's a gown that is made out of flip-flops and spoons, right? So it looks like they're put together from things that were thrown into the ocean, um, as well as, kind of the memories of both like the African fashions of the time, as well as the European fashions of the time, the people that those involved in the slave trade um, would have been coming in contact with, right? As the Europeans and African peoples who were trading with each other, right? We can't sort of take out that part of the story as they were coming in contact with each other. Um, so it's, yeah, so it's almost like a fashion exhibit as well, right? I feel like it's having a lot to say about fashion. And I know I have some colleagues in my department who work on fashion from the early modern period. So I'm probably gonna be trying to look into some of that. So yeah, it was very stylish, <laughs> but it's also very meaningful. The most breathtaking part of it is a film um, where Ayana Jackson again herself got certified in diving. I mean, it was very mermaid, mermaidy, right? Ayana Jackson is a mermaid. Ayana B. Jackson <laughs> is a mermaid. She got certified in diving, and there is the there are these long sequences of her dancing, swimming. Underwater in these different um, garments that were produced for the project. Um, And she's doing so against the backdrop of these different writings about the Black Atlantic and the Middle Passage and the Black Aquatic. Um, So it's just mind blowing. I'm so, so, so glad that I made the time and invested the resources to go see this exhibit in person because just looking at the images online cannot compare and most of the images are not available online um and certainly the whole length of the films that were playing were not available online right so yeah that was just incredible and it was worth it it was worth all the troubles worth all the money i went to the exhibit probably about three or four times because i wanted at least one time to just take it in, right? One of the things I'm realizing as I do this work and as I work on something that I'm very personally interested in, like, of course, as scholars, we pick things to work on that we're interested in. But because mermaids at this point in my life has been a part of so much for me, you know, self-care, hobby, interest, work, sometimes the way in which that blends all together i'm recognizing is not fully healthy because i'm engaging in things that used to bring me joy already in work mode right already thinking how i'm going to quite frankly capitalize on it right because i'm doing the work because i care about it but i'm also doing the work because as a scholar it's my job to produce articles and books and and writings and and different things, right? Um, I need to do this in order to secure my future. And yeah, it's just sometimes the mixture um, is starting to kind of wear me out. So I have to remind myself to slow down and enjoy things. So I have to give myself the space to do that. So I'm glad that I gave myself like three, four days to be able to kind of absorb and take in and just enjoy the exhibit as well as to take the notes, to take the photos, to do the documentation, to start doing the writing and all of that. Oh, another thing worth mentioning here um, that I experienced in DC. um, So that exhibit was at the Smithsonian um, Museum of African Art. I also went to the Smithsonian National Museum of African American um, Art History and Culture, I think is what it's called. Um, And when I say, I mean, that is an incredible museum. It is huge. It's just the displays. Like, it's just a breathtaking museum. I was only able to go kind of quickly because um, I did that on my last day. So I just had to kind of go through the museum really quickly and take pictures. But hopefully I'll be able to get back. But there was an exhibit on Afrofuturism. So that was great. I went to the exhibit on Afrofuturism. Um, they had... You know costumes from Parliament Funkadelic, Sun Ra, Janelle Monae. Um, they had the Black Panther costume from Black Panther. I didn't see a Dora Milaje costume, but I definitely saw, and maybe I just didn't walk around enough. Um, they had book covers from Octavia Butler, Samuel Delaney. Um, it was just a really great exhibit. Um, I wish I had a little bit more time with it. Hopefully, it'll still be there the next time I make it back to um, to that museum, which is so worth checking out. Oh, another thing that happened in D.C., that's worth mentioning on the Mermaid Pat Podcast, I met up with Mermaid Shay Monique. Um, So Mermaid Shay Monique, I mentioned before, she was the first Black mermaid that I came across when I started looking into the mermaid community and wanting to get into mermaiding and be part of mermaiding. At that point, I wasn't on Instagram. I really have, you know, I have a very ambivalent relationship to social media and I try to keep the platforms I'm engaging with down. Um, So I think I found Mermaid Shea Monique um, through YouTube and finally went over to Instagram where I found all the other Black mermaids. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I've always had a a deep affection for Shea Monique. And I'm really, you know, happy that someone who I, you know, admired from afar that I can now call a friend. Um, So she picked me up from the museum. We We had lunch. Um, and that was just really great and I just really appreciate that time with her um so that was my trip to DC my next stop was Baltimore I took the Amtrak from DC to Baltimore which was awesome it was so comfortable it was so cheap and we just really need way more connectivity in terms of trains and light rail to get around you know different places like the conference was in the inner Harbor in Baltimore. One thing that I'm not so happy about is that I just did not get to do anything in Baltimore. And I like Baltimore a lot. At one point, uh, my husband and I were considered, mo- were considering moving to Baltimore. We actually were supposed to move to Baltimore a few years ago. And, um, Things changed, pandemic, life, you know, it, our plans ended up changing. But I traveled to the city multiple times during that period of time trying to get to know the city and figure out, you know, the lay of the land. And I really like it. So I am disappointed that this trip, I just did not get to go do anything. I didn't get to catch up. I have a friend whose um, child is in college there. You know, I just I just didn't get to do anything because because my month has been so incredibly busy. I had not written the paper that I was presenting. I had done the research for it. I'm not going to say I hadn't written it at, at all. i had done the research. I had done the note taking. I did the outlining. You know, I knew what I was talking about, but I just really hadn't sat down to do it. So um, what I was presenting is a chapter from my book project I'm working on, where I, and in this chapter, I'm really thinking about um, Black mermaid children's literature and the way that Black Mermaid children's literature is mediating some of the trauma of the Middle Passage, as well as the afterlife of slavery. So I was talking about these Black children's literature and talking about it in relationship to environmental justice, and the way that these books connect both the history of Black people to environmental justice through the figure of the mermaid that is often a manifestation of either Mami Wata or Yemaya, Yemanja. Um, so that's what I was talking about and spent most of my time in Baltimore writing. Um, my presentation went really well. And at the end of the day, even though writing, because you have like this pressure of having to present (laughs) the next day is probably not the healthiest writing practice. It did help me get a whole draft of this chapter done. Um, So I'm excited about that. Okay, the last thing I'm going to talk about is an experience that I had on the flight home from Baltimore um, that I thought was just worth talking about. You know, I am scared of heights and I'm claustrophobic. So flying already is not a very pleasant experience for me. On my way home from um, Baltimore, I was not feeling well, I was really sick. Um, I'm on a flight, I flew southwest. If anyone knows when you're flying Southwest, you know, you don't have assigned seats. So I always usually try to be in a window or an aisle because I know that I get really claustrophobic, but I was not able to do that. And I ended up stuck between two large men. And I think it did not help that I was reading. So on the last episode with Nicole Scaniers, we were talking about Tana Narif's *Do Ghost Summer, which is a collection of Tana Narif do's. Short stories, and they're all all of these stories are centered around the majority of them, if not all of them, are centered around this one town, which I think is really remarkable considering the fact that from the post notes that Do has for each story, these stories were all written at different times over different years for different publications. So the fact that she was writing all of these different stories for the same kind of universe that she created with this one town, with this lake. I think it's really incredible. Time to is brilliant, brilliant. Like Pulitzer Nobel level, brilliant writer. Um, so anyway, I was reading this one story. I won't say the title cause I, probably something I'm gonna say about the story will be a spoiler, but um, I was reading this one story. It was really terrifying. It starts out really light and adventurous. And by the end of it, it is so sad and it's so terrifying, but it involves um, children being buried alive. So I'm reading this story while I'm on a plane. I'm reading on my phone, on the Kindle app on my phone, which is probably not a good idea because I'm straining my eyes. I'm already a little bit nauseous because of what I'm experiencing. So basically, I end up having a huge panic attack on the plane. Like I wanted them to land the plane. There was this like the old man to my left because he was like an elder gentleman. And I was like, I need you to get up. You know, I wasn't like polite about it. I was like, I need to get out. I need to get out. So he gets up. I go into the aisle. I'm staggering down the aisle. And I really am in my head like, I got to get out of here. Like, I wasn't going to do it, but I actually pictured myself trying to like do the emergency, like I, the emergency latch, like to get, I just want out of the plane so bad. So I staggered to the back of the plane and I asked the flight attendants, how how much longer do we have? And they're like an hour and a half. And I just started weeping. <laughs> I'm really dramatic. You know? I, I'm a very, I'm a really dramatic person. I just, I went into a huge panic attack. So I think that it was a combination of exhaustion because of what my month was like with, kind of being hyper-stimulated from reading this story about being buried alive while I'm in a very claustrophobic environment to hormones, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know, it was just a combination of things. I just broke, I just kind of broke. And I just am so grateful for those lovely flight attendants cause they totally, like they made me sit down. I had to take off, then I'm double masked because I'm on a plane and nobody else masks on planes anymore. And I don't want to get COVID. So I had so I also couldn't breathe. So they made me take my mask off. They put cold compresses on me. They gave me ginger ale. They gave me water. They um took my glasses off because my glasses were all fogged up, so I couldn't see. They talked to me calmly and they just totally like took like brought me out of the panic attack. And I felt very taken care of. And I think there's times I've talked on the podcast a little bit lately about um feeling lately, like not very supported, Um, thinking about times in my life recently and years ago where I just didn't feel cared for. Like I have to do a lot of caregiving, but like no one's taking care of me. And so, yeah, I'm just, I don't know their names, but shout out to the flight attendants, Southwest Airlines um, that really took care of me and kept me from making that plane either crash or have to do an emergency landing. (laughs) Um, And kudos to Tana Nareef Du for being such a great horror writer that you helped to send me into a panic attack on that plane because I know that that story contributed to that experience. That's my month. That's my month. Very eventful. Some things that I've learned, I definitely am doing too much. The realization is important I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do to resolve it yet because I don't want to give up any of the things that I'm enjoying. I really enjoy making this podcast. It gives me a creative outlet, it gives me a sense of efficacy in my life. Scholarship is really slow, it's really tedious. I could spend a whole eight hour day just Researching and reading sources just to write a footnote, right? So it's a slow process, and I don't always feel like I've gotten as much done as I should be getting done. So it could be really frustrating. Parenting a child with special needs, you know, there are a lot of things I'm trying to work on right now potty training, sleep training. Um, Medi-Cal, you know, and sometimes it just feels like the time that I put in, the work that I put in, the phone calls that I put in, it just doesn't go anywhere. Like I don't accomplish what I'm trying to do, even though I'm working so hard. So this podcast has been such a great outlet for me because I literally can sit down with one hour, record an episode, and maybe in another hour I can write the notes, produce the episode and I could put something into the world that is meaningful and valuable and complete, right? And it also helps me to think through some of the things that within my scholarship when I have the pressure of thinking about peer review and publishing and is this going to be considered important and what press am I going to publish with? And like when I'm thinking about all that kind of stuff sometimes it can stop me, it can get in the way. Um but I don't know. The podcast, I just talk. I just talk and I just let what I'm thinking out. And it helps me to kind of work through my ideas and develop my ideas that I hope eventually I'll be able to put into some sense in this book. Um, So this is something I don't want to give up. Even though it takes a lot of time, I don't want to give it up. Um, Dance is something I don't want to give up. Swimming The swimming's gone to a wayside a bit in the last few weeks, but I'm hoping to get back on track with swimming more often. So I don't want to give up any of the things that bring me joy, but I also can't give up any of the things that I have to do. Like I have to help take care of this elder in my life. I have to help. I have to take care of my child. I have to do my job that I get paid for. I have to be there for my students. I mean, everyone maybe doesn't necessarily feel like they have to be there for their students, but I do feel that responsibility. Um, And then there's all sorts of other things that come along. So I haven't resolved how I'm going to streamline things and make them a little easier for myself and stay on top of my life a little bit better, but at least I have come, arrived at the fact that I'm doing too much and Admitting your problem is the first step, (laughs) right? So maybe over um, the next couple of months, I will come to some resolutions about how to fix that. But the podcast ain't going nowhere because I like doing this and this is something I'm going to keep up. And I'm going to end here. You have just listened to the Merwomanist Podcast with Mommy Melacine. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, I will love five stars, and subscribe for future episodes. You can follow me on Instagram at mommy, that's M-A-M-I underscore Melasine, or at Merwomanis Podcast on LinkedIn at Jelandra Davis or my website, JalandraDavis.com. wishing you love and laughter and hoping to see you swim this way again.